welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. Today's guest, Martin Bispells, bought a business in disc golf, a sport that is small but fast growing and with a passionate community of players. What really struck me about Martin's story, other than how f- kind of fun the business is, is how much prep he and his partner did. You'll hear how his plans for hiring and supply chain management, even company culture, these were all in place before he signed on the dotted line to acquire the business. And they've been rewarded for this preparation. After only a year of ownership, he took an e-commerce business that had dropped to zero sales and had zero inventory when he acquired it to one that is closing in on a couple million dollars in sales. So congrats to Martin and team on this early success. Here he is, Martin Bispells, owner of Upper Park Disc Golf. Martin Bispells, thank you for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Thanks, Will. You are the co-owner and CEO of Upper Park Disc Golf, which is a, a, manuf- a, a an e-commerce store selling and brand selling primarily bags, but also accessories and supplies uh, to the disc golf for disc golf, which is obviously a growing, uh, a rapidly growing hobby sport. The acquisition is uh, almost exactly a year old mm-hmm. to the day yesterday. Mm-hmm. And by all accounts, uh, from what you've told me offline, it's going really well. So we're going to hear that story. Uh, but why don't we start, as we always do, with your history and what... Uh, so give us that kind of the, the two-minute version on you, bio on you, and what led you to want to buy a business. Sure, sure. Uh, so, you know, my career really spanned, um, uh, you know, entry-level positions, working my way up at a large company, uh, a large retailer with billions in revenue. And I ended up leading the, the uh, sales team uh, at that company. And uh, it's QVC, the shopping channel. It's the, you know, uh, and really had a great run there. Learned a, a ton. Gosh, you know, so many smart people there. And I learned an awful lot just from growing up there. Uh, so I ended up leading the sales team when we merged all the channels together. So really figured out what multi-channel commerce really was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I led business and corporate development uh, for, which is kind of the crazy idea department. It was like, figure out new ways to make money, Martin. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, all kind of, I, I knew the business really well. So I, I knew how to, you know, create uh, incremental revenue and incremental value. Um, so uh, I really enjoyed that. And then in 2014, I resigned to start my own consulting practice. I really wanted to work with these small companies directly and help them grow. Uh, so did that for seven, uh, eight, uh, almost eight years. And then um, COVID happened and I really rethought kind of what I wanted to do. And I thought, no, I, you know, consulting is great, but it has its pros and cons. Uh, I really want to own a company and operate it uh, as my own. And so that's what we did. Just to drill down on your experience at QVC a little bit, because I think it, it is relevant to now having purchased a consumer brand. So QVC is the shopping channel. So any you know, most people will be familiar, Americans. It's kind of uh, 24-7 programming of, uh, of products where there's a host or two talking about a product and you can call in or use the website and acquire the pro- buy, buy the product. And so I, I don't know the background, I mean, excuse me, the process, and we don't need to get into that, but essentially you're out there sourcing interesting products in the world to put on television and, and sell basically. So stop me if I'm so far so oh, good. That's right. There's a whole merchandising team that goes around the world and sources part products. Yeah, that's right. All over the world. It's a really an amazing model. Uh, the sales team, my job and my team's job was to figure out, okay, we have the product. Now, how do we present that product uh, on air? And then as we developed online, on mobile, on social. Uh, and so really a, a, a dynamic business, really interesting, a, a, a constant wave of new products. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything from the guy who you know, invented this quirky little invention that you think, oh, I should have thought of that. Uh, to major brands, you know, Dell Computers and and, and all the major uh, beauty businesses and brands sell on QVC. So really a dynamic, diverse kinds of business. But yeah, all consumer products, one at a time, uh, really uh, direct selling uh, in its, in its uh, really, you know, sort of purest form. And, and what you guys are doing at corporate is basically asking yourselves as you're considering all these products that you can put on air, will this sell? And you're, and you're, you know, and, and sometimes, like you said, like you'll have something that you think is a, a slam dunk. It'll, it's going to go gangbusters and then it fails and vice versa. Things that are unlikely hits, right? So yeah. you're kind of at the front lines of consumer, like product 
product market fit, if you will, for consumer products. Is that fair? In, in, in a live environment where you find out in, in real time whether something's going to be a success or a failure, right? And, and to your point, absolutely. Sometimes you think, oh, this is a slam dunk that everyone's going to love this and it doesn't perform. And, and the inverse is true, you know? So at the sales department, I, I always told my team, assume every product is great. Uh, it's our job to figure out how to present it effectively, right? Um, and so that really created a good delineation between the merchants whose job it was to go source these products and think about the question of, is this product market fit? Is this going to sell? Uh, they've already done all that homework. So I always looked at our job of, you know, how do we present it uh, in, in the most effective way possible mm-hmm. that really gives the consumer uh, enough information uh, to make an informed purchasing decision? Is this right for them in, in their mm-hmm. lives, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you think that having seen so many products and, and many of them, you've probably seen a lot of flops or ones that just didn't perform to your expectations. Do you think that like made you want to acquire a business that had already had a product that had sold before versus starting something from scratch? You can see where I've been, I've been leading here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it, it was definitely a factor, uh, you know, and I, I, we did think a lot about that. My business partner and I, do we, you know, buy, build or partner, right? The age yeah. old question. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we certainly could, and I have built from nothing, you know, from an idea on a napkin, you know, in my consulting days. Uh, but I knew that, you know, just the momentum that you get from having a brand that already has, you know, uh, a great reputation uh, for quality, like these, all these products did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to, especially in, like most industries, the disc golf space is, is, uh, you know, small, but very intense. Mm-hmm. It's true of many industries. And so mm-hmm. having a brand that the consumer already recognized and knew, oh yeah, you know, those guys, you know, that was super, super important. Um, also because the sport is growing so fast, there's, a, there's lots of new entrants, you know, there's a lot every day, there's more people making discs, for example, for, for the sport. Uh, and so to not just be another, oh, another new one, uh, to leverage the brand equity and the goodwill that the brand had uh, was, was certainly an advantage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, tell us then about the search process. Um, did you go looking for a disc golf? Did you have a thesis around disc golf or, did, or were you <laughs> looking at, um, what, what were your parameters in your search? Tell us about the process. Yeah. So from the very beginning, uh, Jim and I, my business partner, you know, I said, look, let's, you know, we can get excited about any one thing. Let's, let's develop some really clear objective criteria yeah. Uh, about what kind of business we would want. Uh, and I find that's so, so helpful, right? Just like when you start an M&A uh, practice, right, at, a, at an organization, uh, you know, you really think about, okay, why are we doing this? What are our goals? Uh, because it's easy to get excited about any one opportunity. Yeah, you know? sure. Uh, <laughs> and so um, really objective criteria that we developed, and I can talk more about that. Uh, we vetted dozens and dozens of companies um, before finding uh, upper park. And it, it was actually actually kind of the opposite. I, I actually, I've loved disc golf since I've played since my twenties. I actually have baskets here on my property. Mm-hmm. So I actually had the opposite reaction of like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Don't love it just because it's disc golf, right? <laughs> Make sure it's really a great opportunity. It's everything. It seems like it is, you know, the vet really heavy diligence. So I probably did more vetting and more diligence uh, because it was disc golf, because I knew that that was something I would naturally, you know, really enjoy uh, being part of. Yeah, yeah, that was wise because obviously most people, y- you were aware that people's passions can lead them astray, and so you didn't want oh. to uh, <laughs> buy well, something I mean, you, you know, thought was cool or fun. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you just you didn't want to buy something because you were just a, a fan of the sport and thought it was cool and fun. Like it, it, it needed to stand alone as a proper business that that met you know your business criteria. For sure. And, and when vetting companies, you know, when I was leading uh, M&A for QVC, you know, it, it's easy to get excited about any one thing because, yeah. you know, somebody with influence says, hey, you should really look at this company. Oh, okay, great. You know, it's easy to sort of just get excited about something. Uh, uh, and, and, and it's really important then to have, you know, a very clear, sober path <laughs> towards the decision of, of, of actually acquiring a company. So, yeah, I would like to hear what those criteria were that you guys sure. had decided on. Well, you know, you touched on one, which was an existing company with revenues and profit, right? Uh, there's certainly plenty of, you know, ideas on a napkin out there, but to, to have something that, it, you know, is proven uh, that this can be successful, there is demand for the product, product market fit, all of those mm-hmm. kinds of uh, thoughts. 
Um, we wanted it to be U.S. domicile um, or at least be an easy transfer uh, if it was a foreign domicile. Uh, we wanted it to be privately owned. Um, we wanted it to be innovative, right? Something different, something we'd be proud to tell our friends about, right? Uh, you know, uh, and not something like, uh, you know, commodity, like, you know, at the time, of course, there was, you know, a new mask company, you know, for COVID every day. I was like, oh, you know, we don't want to make masks. I mean, that's not, that's just a commodity. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be that interesting. Yeah. Um, so something that's press worthy and interesting and cool and, and disc golf certainly fit the bill there. Um, you know, that uh, the company was seeking an exit or, or willing to uh, stay on for a transition period, at least. And we actually did better than that with our, the way we structured it. Um, something that's recession proof. <laughs> Remember this is September of 20 and, you know, a lot of questions still about what is the economy going to do? Are we going to come back yeah. from this thing? You know? And so something that, um, you know, we knew that we could say, wow, in good times and bad, there's a, there's a demand there. Uh, and this was upper park was interesting because it had all the momentum of, you know, the outdoor boom, right? Remember you couldn't buy a bicycle for three yeah. months or something. Yeah. So everybody was getting outside and, you know, uh, disc golf is terrific because you're outside, you're with people, but you're not, you know, immediately, you don't, there's no contact, right? Yeah. So you can yeah. social distance. And, and so it fit that bill. Um, and the larger, you know, trend of just everything outdoors, you know, just like visits to national parks, have, you know, have exploded, um, you know, consumer products, something with, um, uh, uh, you know, consumer products is my wheelhouse, right? So I've done other things, services, B2B, you know, that kind of thing, but software, but it's, it's not as, as sort of my, in my, in my wheelhouse uh, as much as consumer products, just because of my, my past experience. Um, and then also within that, something that was um, either had been successful or could be successful outside of Amazon. Um, you know, you can get people talking about Amazon and <laughs> there's, there's a, a lot of opinions. Certainly. Um, I knew that we didn't want to have a business that was purely reliant on Amazon, uh, uh, for, for many reasons. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's a direct to consumer movement that's really strong and, and, um, uh, there's just some really important, uh, values around direct to consumer businesses that I appreciate, uh, the relationship with the customer, the margins, the fact that Amazon can't just turn you off on a whim uh, or knock you off. So all of those things were really important. Uh, a direct and consumer model was important. Um, you know, we had a number of different industries, but really consumer products was where we were at. We wanted industry tailwinds. Uh, we wanted it to be asset light. We didn't want to buy a bunch of buildings, certainly, right? Again, back to where the economy was. Uh, we wanted to... Um, we wanted to do some kind of social good. So we wanted it to be in a space that we could identify some socially responsible uh, activities. And we've done that now with uh, the, our charity uh, support, uh, support of, a, of our partner charity, uh, You Play Disc Golf. Um, and uh, we wanted to be able to operate remotely. Um, again, uh, during lockdown and everything else, I, I work from my barn. My team is all working from home and I, I love that model. Um, and, and then finally, uh, more tangibly, we wanted, uh, we preferred an asset sale, uh, for, for many reasons, you know, the idea of an asset sale is you're buying the assets of the business and not, um, the business itself, right. The company itself. Right. Right. Um, and that has some advantages to it. Right. And it, and it helps in the diligence and vetting. You, one criteria I didn't hear, which I often do hear is recurring revenue. And I don't know in disc golf if there is anything that is is recurring. Um, I think in consumer products generally, unless it's you know shavers and shaving cream, you know it's some in some sort of consumable. <laughs> recurring can be difficult. Does am I? Is there a recurring element to your business, and why was that something that didn't um, matter to you? If yeah. there isn't. Uh, you know, there's not a recurring uh, revenue element of the business currently, uh, but we certainly have room to expand there. Um, and so we, you know, I, I certainly understand recurring businesses, the beauty to them, there's a magic to them. <laughs> uh, every marketing dollar works harder, right? When you're getting recurring revenue. Uh, and I understood that, but I, I also felt like as long as we had uh, a great product that people were really satisfied with, they'll come back often enough. Um, you know, one of the terrific, uh, uh, stats of this business is that we have uh, 80% uh, new customer traffic every day. 
and so that's wonderful because it, it proves that there's a really large market out there that people are constantly discovering us. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, you know, and that, that changes the, the criteria of sort of how you have to, you know, structure the business and, and market the business. Um, but I, I felt that, yeah, if there wasn't recurring revenue, then you would certainly want a steady flow of new customers. And that was sort of built in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how did you identify, so you had this, these criteria and I, I mean, I found you from a, a video that Flippa did on you. So I know that you went to Flippa, but tell us, tell us more about the search. Where, where did you go? Um, in addition to Flippa, if, if there were. Yeah. So the first place we went was just our, our network. Jim and I have a, you know, both have a terrific business network and really different and complementary networks uh, in, in um, uh, strong business contacts, senior leaders, et cetera. Uh, and so we, we, we leverage that, right. Just, we, you know, there's lots of deal guys out there. There's lots of people uh, who have, you know, are shopping deals all the time. Uh, we, we both know a fair amount of PE firms and VC firms and so uh, we tapped our, our existing network, and that was very helpful uh, just to start to get the temperature of what's out there. Uh, and then, absolutely, there's these online marketplaces like Flippa and others that we, you know, it's easy access, right? It's all right yeah. there. And, yeah. Uh, so extremely valuable and helpful to be able to, you know, quickly uh, find and, and vet these, uh, these opportunities. You know, it's interesting. So, and so, you, of course, you did find the business on Flippa. It's interesting to me because... Flippa and online markets, marketplaces in general have a reputation for the businesses being a little less desirable because <laughs> if they were more desirable, they would have been sold through back channels, you know, <laughs> kind, of, kind, of, kind of what you initially tried where you worked your network. But in fact, I mean, I talked to so many people and, and so many of them, in fact, do have found the businesses that they acquired on their marketplaces, but I'd be on, on, a, on a marketplace, but I'd be curious to hear you respond to that, like um, the quality of deals that you saw when you worked your network versus what you were seeing on Flippa. Yeah, I really prefer uh, to, to find deals on marketplaces. I think it's much more honest. Uh, you know, I, I've done the Sand Hill Road Tour and um you know, you, you sort of only get what they're willing to give you, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's too many gatekeepers, there's too many, you know, egos and, and nonsense involved. Uh, I really prefer the open marketplace model where it's, it's just out there. And John, the seller was smart. You know, he could have, you know, found a guy that made big promises about what he could get him for the business. You know, he saw the opportunity and, and he, and, you know, he's also, he's just a great guy. He's a good human. And he just listed it honestly. There was no puffery. Uh, there was no inflation of numbers. It was really honest. And, and I really prefer that model. I, you know, uh, again, having done the, you know, Silicon Valley tour and, you know, many times it, it's, it comes with a lot of baggage and nonsense, you know, mm -hmm. and so it, to be able to just cut through that was, was really refreshing. Mm -hmm. You had said that you immediately loved the business when you saw it, uh, upper, uh, upper park. And you've told us what your criteria were. Did you love it just because it met those criteria and because you happen to be an aficionado of the sport or was there something more? Tell us about when, when you first laid eyes on the business. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, one, it, it's absolutely, it rang the bells on all of those criteria, right? Super important. Um, and, and again, you know, my vetting mechanism of like, okay, don't just get excited because, you know, oh, it's, you know, now you can, you know, you know, space travel. And, you know, it's like, you can get excited about any one thing, but okay. Objectively, it made sense. One, two, I really liked the seller, John. He's just a mm -hmm. really good guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was very smart about how he had built the business. He was very honest about what he was not able to do uh, because of just capital and bandwidth. Um, he was very tuned into the industry and the sport. Um, knew a lot of people, you know, I knew immediately that we were going to be able to get traction uh, in the, in the space, right. There's always, you know, in any, in any industry, there's always, you got to find the power players, right. <laughs> you got to find the competitors. You got to know what you're dealing with the lay of the land. And he really knew that. Um, and so his experience, uh, was, was super important as well. And, and again, helped us really understand, um, you know, the size of the opportunity. Um, the fact that it was innovative and it was something that I, I would be proud and I am proud to, to yeah. tell my friends about, you know, yeah. uh, that's, that was super important. And then financially it, it had had uh, some very good years uh, in, in its sales history when they were in stock, when they were able to get, you know, the marketing together. And again, John was really doing most of this all by himself. And so the fact that he had had that success with very limited resources and bandwidth told me, okay, well, if we can bring, 
you know, the, the, what I knew we could bring, uh, you know, I, I thought, well, we, we, we have a pretty high chance of success here. And so tell us the history of the business. How many years old was it? And what was the state of it? You just kind of alluded to it. What was the state of it when you found, when it was listed on the Flippa? Well, so the company would, uh, the previous company was started in 2011 uh, by John and two college buddies in California. And, uh, you know, they did it because, because they were into disc golf and they just yeah. thought it was really cool and it was a great sport and they saw opportunity. Uh, John had really invested uh, a lot of time into the, uh, you know, the design of the bags and being really smart about listening to customers' feedback about how to constantly improve the designs. So they've done a really good job of that. Um, but, you know, frankly, at the, at the point of sale, I mean, the company was, was really at a standstill, right? There, there just wasn't the capital for inventory or marketing. So there was no, there were effectively no sales at the, at the time you're looking at. Right. And, and, and no inventory. (laughs) And so uh, he had sort of run the, you know, you know, run the gauntlet on that and, and just was where he was. Right. And, uh, and so, um, you know, of course the first thing we saw was, well, let's get in stock because there's proven sales history. Let's just have the product available for sale. I mean, you know, it's, you don't have to be a rocket science. Yeah. And so, uh, so that's one of the first things we did right after the acquisition, we, we, uh, we ordered a bunch of inventory to be able to get in stock and, and, and stay in stock. It's interesting in disc golf, uh, all of the manufacturers, you know, because of the boom of the sport had been operating the way they operate and, and, uh, but they were all, uh, taken by surprise. Uh, at the boom of the sport and the demand for the products. And so it, it's sort of even now still the case that, you know, many products are coming to stock and get blown out and, and, are, and are out of stock quickly, which really frustrates the customers, right? I mean, yeah. there's, there's some advantage to that, you know, there's scarcity marketing and all of that. That works to a degree. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, and certainly I know a lot about that, but, uh, you know, you, it's not the way to really build a strong brand. And so, uh, being in stock, staying in stock, getting ahead of the reorders, staying ahead of the global logistics, which, which was certainly a challenge, which, which we can talk about. Um, you know, that's really the right way to build a, a company. And that's exactly what we're doing. You know, it, it's interesting to me that he sold when he did because, I mean, it just sounds like the, the business, had, the, um, the interest in the sport had only grown since 2011 when he started it. But also, of course, as we all know, last year was a giant year for e-commerce. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems like an, un, an unlikely year to let your inventory drop to zero um, and, and hand the reins over to somebody else. That would be the year where I'd be wanting to hold on tightly to my e-commerce business. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, understood. But you know, at the same time, uh, he was working another full time job. You know, uh, and again, he just didn't have the resources to be able to put into the business to to make it grow. And so, um, you know, I, I don't want to speak for him, but I mean, he considered other possibilities, right? Yeah. Loans and and other kinds of things, and okay. ultimately made you know chose the path that he did, and I'm I'm sure glad he did. And so he had never been full time on the business. Nobody had ever been full time on the business. Uh, I don't know if that's no. I think there was a time when he was, but but it was it was sporadic. I mean, it, it, yeah. you know, it had never gotten to the point where he was able to sustain it, you know, full time, um, and so was always working other jobs and so forth. So, but again, had some pretty good years uh, despite that. Great. Okay, so the business is essentially not selling really anything effectively uh, when when it's for sale and when you acquire it, uh, there's no inventory. So uh, you, you need to acquire that inventory. But what is the, and you, you've also mentioned how John now works with you on the business. So he came with the business. So tell us a little bit or whatever you can about the deal to acquire the business. Sure. Uh, so my very first conversation with John uh, was after I had already, you know, Dissected all the all the data, everything I could find, done my own research, understood the industry, the players, the the competitors, all of that, uh, and traded a whole bunch of emails with him, asking a whole bunch of questions, you know, typical diligence questions, and then very specific to the business questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my very first conversation with John, I still remember it, was uh, you know we got acquainted, and then I said, John, you know, I really respect what you've built. Uh, I think it is it has enormous potential, um, and what I'd like to do is, is, you know, make you an offer. Uh, but as part of that offer, I'd like you to actually come on board as an equity partner and uh, be part of this next wave of, of success. And of course that was music to his ears, right? Because I mean, this was his baby that he had built. Yeah. And so, you know, his thought was, well, you know, I'll just sell it and I'll get what I can get. And, uh, and so, 
uh, it, it really right from the beginning, you know, I also just really liked him, you know, our core yeah. values that we can talk about were, are really important to me. Uh, and so, and the kinds of people that I'm working with are, are super important. Yeah. And so, uh, I knew that he fit that, uh, that the culture that I wanted to build, I knew that he fit the core values that I was setting up for the business and, uh, really wanted him to be part of this next wave. And, and that's exactly what he's done. I also, asked him very specifically, what do you enjoy doing about with the business and what do you not? And, and he was honest, you know, he loved the product design. He loved figuring out the next innovation. Okay. We're going to add a pocket and we're going to, he loved that kind of, you know, thinking about uh, all based on consumer or customer research and and feedback. Yep. Yep. So understanding what he wanted to do with the business and then I asked him, okay, what do you not enjoy? <laughs> he said, honestly, the, the, the logistics, the supply chain stuff, you know. And so I said, okay, great. That was super helpful in the structure of the business because then I knew, and I tapped my network and found a supply chain guy who just loves to talk about shipping containers and, and UPC code <laughs> all day, right? I mean, that's, he loves it. And so, uh, uh, <laughs> and Tim, he's a great guy. And, and then marketing people that I, I knew, you know, I know a lot about marketing, especially digital marketing. And so I knew what I needed, but I needed people to be able to actually execute on that, all right, on that, yeah. on that strategy. Uh, so built the right structure with all the right other people and players that I needed. Um, and then put John in the role that he, I knew would, would most enjoy. Right. So that was the structure for, as far as the people, um, you know, the financials are, 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 were pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, there was a, there was a purchase price and, and we did an asset sale, like I said, uh, so that we're buying, you know, buying the assets instead of the company itself, uh, transferred to our LLC. I mean, you know, it's sort of run of the mill, you yeah, know, deal structure kinds of things, you know, but I will say that uh, Flippa made all of that very, very easy. Uh, you know, all of the deal docs, everything could go through their platform and escrow and all of that. Uh, it just made it very easy. Bringing John in, it w- that sounds like something that occurred to you because it was the right fit. But is that something that if you were to do another deal or advise other people out there buying a business, if they can get it, it's great to bring along the original founder? Yeah, it was very purposeful. And actually, in the other acquisitions that I had done uh, for QVC, um, I you know brought people in as well. And so, yeah, absolutely, it's something I'd recommend um, because you know no matter how much diligence you have or you do, or and how much expertise you have in the space, there's always going to be things that you don't know. And questions that pop up, and so uh, and and contacts, you know, that could be extremely helpful. In the very beginning, I said, "Okay, John, we want to have a player team. Introduce me to you know twenty of the players that you think would be great." Okay, great. And it was an email, you know, <laughs> I didn't have yeah. to go searching and reaching out cold, you know, to these. Uh, who the hell is this guy? You know, yeah. So warm introductions, right? And knowing who the players are and being able to say, "Oh, wait, is it this company that?" The- oh, okay, you know, just in the very beginning, right? So extremely helpful. And of course, there's a number of ways to structure that, right? Here's he's an equity partner. He's in for the long haul. He's going to be with us, you know. Uh, then, of course, the other, you know, the other kinds of structures are, at the very least, you know, some kind of earnout, right? You yeah. know, stay on for 90 days or something, and sure. uh, and that's nice for everybody. It, it certainly helps the buyers and and the sellers are always happy because it's it's essentially another bite at the apple, right? They're getting the purchase price and then they're getting whatever they're getting to stay on for however long they stay on. Sure. Yeah, so definitely something I recommend. You know, because it's just it's just extremely helpful to have that kind of uh, knowledge transfer. You know, Martin, as I hear you talk about what you did post acquisition and and how you know how you brought in these people to really ramp up the business, it seems like there's there was a lot of cost. Uh, not in just the acquisition of the business itself, but all all of the investment you were going to put behind it once you acquired it. Can you? Talk a little bit about that, uh, and, and with with an eye toward how you know a lot of people might go on Flippa or one of the other marketplaces and see businesses for sale and say to themselves, "Yeah, I can I can afford that, or I can make that work," but maybe not realizing that that's you know the first of a lot more money they're going to have to shell out to really you know grow grow a business that they buy. Yeah, well, and I and I and I saw it so many times in, in consulting. You know, they they just look at the initial price of something, whether it's you know, a PO from a large retailer or whatever, uh, or a new product line. And they, they don't look at the real costs, right? The ongoing costs. And so Jim and I, from the very beginning, set a budget. That was one of our criteria. Okay, that we have this much money. <laughs> and so that included, uh, it wasn't just the purchase price. It was everything that we knew that we were going to need to ramp up the business. 
Uh, and I had a budget for that, you know, before we finished the deal, I knew what the first year financials were going to look like, you know? Mm -hmm. And so extremely important. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I was fortunate that I had all the experience of consulting to be able to know what it's really going to take. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I certainly have built large strategies, but I also really am an operator at heart. And so I really understand what it takes. And then of course we have a CFO that helps me, you know, make sure the numbers are straight and I'm not, I'm not dreaming too much, you know? Uh, and so, um, but really going in, uh, knowing ahead of time what it's going to take to ramp this up. And of course it's an e-commerce business, you know, you know, you need inventory, you know, you need marketing, uh, Google and Facebook aren't, aren't cheap, you know? <laughs> and, um, uh, and so knowing what you're going to have to put into it, extremely important, uh, right up front. I would never complete an acquisition unless you were really, really sure what the first year looked like as far as what it's going to take to get the thing going. You said in your consulting business that you'd seen a lot of entrepreneurs make this mistake and, and not, is there some category cost, uh, category where they often overlook it? Like, is it in, in terms of like hiring people, for example, or marketing costs or, or something? Yeah, I'd say, you know, a very common uh, misconception with consumer product businesses, for sure, uh, is, oh, well, if I just get into Target or if I just get on Amazon or if I just, you know, they, they see that as like, you know, and now again, these are very small startup kind of businesses, people with, you know, an inventor entrepreneur type where they just don't realize all, all the things that goes into it, you know, the, the risk of, of RTVs from a retailer, right. Where all the product comes back, if it doesn't sell, um, you know, if you're lucky enough to get on target shelves, wonderful, but if it doesn't sell, it's all coming back. Right. So uh, you know, you have to be careful of that and understand the, the risks and the costs of that. Um, so, you know, I see, and not just in consumer products, but in software, I mean, I've built SaaS businesses and, you know, people just get sort of enamored, uh, especially the the visionary founder type of person. They get enamored with sort of the silver bullet, right? They think, oh, if I can just, you know, mm. oh, if this company would, oh, then we everything's going to be, well, that's just not reality. It's not how you build a business. <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> and it's true of sales in general too. I mean, you know, uh, uh, it, when sales were, you know, exceeded expectations or were well below expectations, you know, in my experience, it's never one thing, yeah. you know, <laughs> and everybody wants to blame this or that. No, the reality is that, you know, it's a lot of factors that go into success and failure uh, and therefore risks and costs that go along with those as well. So when you acquired Upper Park, how many people, you, you mentioned a supply chain person that you brought in, you brought on the founder. How many people did you add to the team right out of, right out of the gate? So I have a core team of about seven people and uh, they're all, we have a, an accountability chart. So it's very clear uh, who does what and who's accountable for what. And I can hold people accountable because it, the expectations are very clear. And that's one of the things I knew from consulting, right? Typical startups have either two people, you know, running around trying to do everything uh, or a hundred people, you know, running around with chickens with their head, heads cut off because they're tripping over each other and, you know, and doing sort of a lot of nonsense, uh, creating a lot of smoke, but no fire, you know? And so, um, knew from the beginning and I, and I, again, an operating mindset, uh, knew that we needed an accountability chart, knew exactly the positions that we were, I was going to recruit for, uh, what each of their roles were going to be very, very clear. Um, even down to metrics and KPIs for each. Uh, and so I, I, I structured that recruited on it, uh, and now we have those people in place and, you know, I'll occasionally bring on, you know, this or that, if we need, you know, some extra help in one area or not. Um, but uh, knowing exactly what you need, the roles of each, the accountabilities, uh, and, and most importantly, the, the culture that you're setting, you know, we, we've set up these core values uh, that are extremely important. And I recruited on them. I made sure people, you know, really fit the, the culture that I wanted to build. Um, because, you know, the, the Peter Drucker quote is wonderful, you know, uh, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right? It's it's a wonderful quote. And it's so true. You know, you have the right people in the right seats. I, I think you can convince you can you can solve anything. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, uh, extremely important. Uh, whereas and so I also sort of, you know, hire slow, fire fast. Right. That's mm -hmm. another sort of. Uh, you know, maybe a little trite, but but uh, expression that I really try to live by. Um, and so, yeah, a core of about seven and, um, uh, you know, so we're all really strong players or else they wouldn't be in the seat. 
So when you acquired the business, you were saying to yourself, you know, the moment we take ownership, we're going to go out there and acquire, I mean, we're going to go out there and hire six people, or I don't know if you, if you included yourself and your partner in the seven, but whatever mm-hmm. it is, four to five Absolutely. more people. They all had a roles to play. Yeah. 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 That's it. That's a bit, that must've been, there must've been some risk you felt with that. Like, are you going to be able to hire quickly enough? And uh, you know, this business is effectively generating no revenue. So every day that you hold it without inventory and without the people in the seats, it's, you know, it's not, it's not meeting your model. So there must've been sort of a, you know, like the, the, the gun going off at the beginning of the race, once you took ownership. Uh, the gun going off. Yes. But, a, but a running start. Right. I mean, uh, you know, like I said, the plan was crystal clear uh, yeah. before, before we signed the documents. Right. So I knew the budget, I knew the players, I knew the structure, I knew the core values, I knew the the culture I wanted to build, I knew the resourcing, uh, you know, uh, uh, requirements and had the order ready to go and uh, had the factory that we were going to order from, you know, locked up um, and confirmed that we were, you know, able to source from there, especially, again, September of last year, that everything was up in the air, you know, can you even ship your goods where you need to get them from? Uh, and so we had done an awful lot of diligence around that and really understood uh, exactly what, what our plan was once we signed the doc. So you, you were able to get in touch with the manufacturer before closing as part of diligence? As part of diligence, yeah. I, I confirmed the factory, knew exactly where the products were being made, knew that they were being made uh, with the right you know, certifications and so forth, which is super important as well. I want to shift a little bit just to the the state of the market and other buyers out there looking at looking at or interested in e-commerce. You hear a ton about how multiples are really high for e-commerce. E-commerce companies have become very expensive. Mm-hmm. Did you say that to yourself or experience that? Can can, can you comment on that one way or another? <laughs> yeah. So I, I sort of ignore all of the trends. You know, it's true, right? Uh, you know, you'll uh, certainly when I was in M and I mean. You know, you'll oh, it's you know the market's really frothy right now, or you know, well, it's really dry. I mean, there's not a lot of activity. I I, I find most of that to be noise. You know, uh, if you know, you find the right opportunity, you can make it happen for and and if it's a fair value for everyone and, and a, a good structure for everyone, you can make it happen. So I, I I never paid too much attention to that because it again that's part of the sort of the I think the old school Sand Hill Road mentality of. We're in control. We're going to tell everyone what's happening and what, you know, the way the market is. Who the hell? I mean, I'm sorry. I just, I don't buy into that hype. I think a lot of it is just ego. And, you know, certainly there's a lot of people who have been very successful in Silicon Valley and in the VC front, you know, but I, again, I just find it to be overinflated. And again, you know, the world is changing so fast. I mean, the fact that you can find a business for sale yeah. on a marketplace uh, it was just unheard of even a few years ago, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, the fact that the world has changed that way, and then the fact that the talent—you know—back to our previous, you know, question—that you know how to source talent has completely changed. You know, you can hire anybody from anywhere now. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, the productivity <laughs> is because of yeah. that. You know? Yeah. And so, yeah, right. Oh well, we have to be in New York so we can get the talent. No, not at all. I'm in my barn. I'm, I'm an hour outside of Philly. I'm nowhere you know, <laughs> as far as the typical market or where you would expect to. Oh wow, this you know fast-growing and profitable startup like. It can be anywhere now. It's amazing. So take advantage of that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it sounds like you really, uh, part of the reason that you've been so successful since the acquisition is because of how thoroughly you plan for things and how thorough your diligence was. And again, I mean, you had you had some experience doing that. What did you perceive as the biggest risks, like the, the, the points of failure you, you thought you really needed to cover your butt with? And- Actually, then once you took ownership of the business, what what did you did you find anything that you'd overlooked? Like what what was missing from your diligence, or what could you have been stronger in? Yeah, I would say that you know the biggest risk was just, and I remember talking to Jim about this. Is you know, look, we vetted this as well as we possibly can at this point, and <laughs> we feel very comfortable with it. Uh, the risk is the unknown unknowns. You know, just you don't know what you don't know, and and so yeah. is there something around the corner that's going to change the market? Is there? some competitor out there that's about the launch, you know, any of those things, but that's just business, yeah. you know? And so uh, we, we, we got very comfortable with the fact that, you know, we had done uh, a lot of diligence, felt very good about it and really had figured out and knew everything we, we could know going in. 
right? So that was very important. I would say the the second part of your question, you know, what do I wish I knew or what did I, you know, now know that I didn't know then? Yeah, yeah. the unknown unknowns. I mean, yeah, the whole world uh, sort of just became aware of, you know, hey, wow, it's really tough to ship goods around the world. What do you know? You know, and so we just all took that for granted, right? Even retailers. I mean, you know, you could get it, you could order, you could get it. That all changed, right? You know, the the just the way that all of these shipping companies operate is just, you know, it's it's bananas. I mean, it, <laughs> the north, the normal, you know, processes, the normal prices, the reliability, the communication, you know, all of that has changed. And so, uh, you know, all you can do at this point, and we have successfully, is find a good partner uh, and 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 lean on them, you know, be very clear about what you need and uh, and make sure you're getting it. So that's true of our, of our logistics shipping company, uh, which is bringing, you know, product from all over the world. It's true of our warehouse, our 3PL, we, we switched 3PLs. Um, our third-party logistics provider, you know, the mm-hmm. actual warehouse fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dealt with a lot of 3PLs in the past. Uh, again, that whole world has changed. And so we switched to a new 3PL because I was convinced that they would do a much better job um, and give us more scale uh, than the one that, you know, sort of came with the business, right? So it's just, it's a matter of just really diving in. And, you know, I, I look at anything as just an issue. Whatever, whatever it is, it's an issue and issues can be solved. Right. And so you sort of take the emotion out of it. And of course, the issues that you think are, you know, world ending usually aren't, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and so you just sort of work, work the issue. And, and again, having the right people to be able to help you with that, uh, you know, like my supply chain guy, who's absolutely terrific, you know, he, he was critical in, in the early days of figuring that out. So supply chain has been, has been kind of the weak point or the, or the, the risky area since you acquired it. It's the most challenging. We figured it out and we we have goods. We're in stock. We're staying in stock. I just placed another reorder uh, just before this meeting. And so all of that's happening. Uh, It's just more challenging. It takes more work than than I probably expected ahead of time. But demand in terms of of people wanting the product now that you have it back in stock or Terrific. now half for a year. Terrific. Just yeah, amazing. We we started with pre-orders uh, uh, because I just wanted to kind of test the market and see you know what was out there, and we were you know sort of blown away. Wow, okay, this is this is real, <laughs> and that was fun. And then we fulfilled you know in a big wave, and then okay, now are they going to want more? You know how big is this market? You know, and. Uh, <laughs> And, and, and month over month, we've just been growing like crazy. So, um, you know, that's a good place to be. It doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Uh, we have some new products coming out actually uh, in, in what's, uh, two weeks. And so, uh, you know, keeping a steady supply of, of new uh, innovative products uh, is, is really important. Uh, the partnerships with the, with the uh, you know, the different people in the space, the major players in the space, super important. So yeah, now we have a, a strong track record and 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 growing growing like crazy. Can you give me any sense of of what sales have done starting from absolute zero? Are you what, what <laughs> your what your monthly sales look like? Yeah, so uh, you know we we are we are at about twenty five percent growth rate month over month uh, since April, uh, which is terrific. Uh, yeah. month over month. Now you know you, most companies would kill for that uh, on a yearly basis, right? Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, and it and it's because you know we honestly we could have grown faster, uh, but I, again as back to that plan and knowing how to efficiently you know deploy capital right I can go buy you know uh, Google and Facebook ads all day and we can grow like this you know um, but making sure back to your point about what is the cost of business right really understanding those costs making sure that you know our marketing is efficient. Uh, and we're not paying more for a customer than we're making on the product, for example, which lots of people have done. I, I, lots of startups do that. It makes me crazy. I don't understand that model. (laughs) I guess when you have unlimited funds that, you know, you think you can get away with that, but it doesn't never made sense to me. Uh, you know, maybe a little old school and companies should be profitable. It's a crazy idea. (laughs) Uh, but you know, so, so ramping efficiently, really using uh, the uh, capital, uh, you know, the right way, balancing inventory and marketing, exploring new marketing channels, constantly testing. Uh, I have a, a person who only focuses on ads and we have daily discussions about where we are, 
the results we're getting, the cost of acquisition, ROAS, all of the typical, you know, e-commerce kinds of, you know, uh, KPIs and so forth. And, um, uh, you know, because we're creating a, a, a business for the long term, you know, we're not just trying to have a great six months of sales and then who the hell cares? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, in terms of your ads, are you feeling the Facebook changes that affected iOS? Sure. Mostly in the reporting. Or, you know, excuse it's, me, it's iOS changes that affected Facebook, I should say. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it, it was never easy, but now it seems like it was so easy. You know, it's like, you know, you can look at your results and you could see how many people clicked and how many purchased from your ads. It, it used to be so simple. And of course, all of that attribution has changed. Um, so honestly, I, I sort of read the tea leaves now and, and we can, uh, you know, we can see what Facebook is saying. We can say what Google analytics is saying. We can say what Shopify is saying. And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. <laughs> um, I find it to be, you know, a wonderful challenge. I just either love or hate this stuff. Right. And I love it because it's a constant challenge to figure out, you know, what is the right creative? What is the right marketing message? What are the right sales channels? What is the right combination of, of, of those, you know, sure. And now we're advertising on TikTok, you know, and uh, there's always something new. Um, and I have a hundred more ideas uh, that will roll out in a logical sequence, right? Um, so that we continue to just, you know, uh, uh, operate more and more efficiently, return on ad spending improves, not just the re top line revenue. Speaking of the future, then what are, what are your, your plans and I mean, obviously it's just to, to grow. So let me ask you more specifically your projections. Like if you're growing 25% month over month, where do you think you can get to with this business in terms of revenue? Are you, where, in terms of revenue, first of all, where are you now? Are you above or below say 50 grand a month, $50,000 in sales a month? Oh, we're above 50. Yeah. We're, we're above 50 grand a month in sales for sure. Uh, and, and, and growing very fast. So, I mean, look, this is a couple million dollar business in, in the very near term. Right. Wow. And, um, I credit that to, you know, the quality of the products, the design that's gone into it, um, our, our marketing approach, um, and just the growth of the sport. Right. It's just, it's taken off and everybody in disc golf is doing well. So it's, you know, it's good to jump on that train. Yeah. Uh, and so, but I do have a, you know, a 10 year, a three year, a one year plan with very specific goals. Um, and, you know, to, to enter the, the sport uh, with uh, a known brand that was, was you know, had great reputation um, and now to have the operational footing to, to operate efficiently and, and profitably. Uh, you know, of course our, our goal, if we're not already is to be the number one bag in disc golf, which is a very specific niche business, right? I yeah. mean, you know, yeah. uh, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're successful, that's where you're at, you know? And so, uh, and so disc golf bags for sure is the base, but then there's a number of other, you know, product extensions, line extensions that we can do, uh, that we're very excited about and, and that are coming. Um, and then, you know, just sticking to our core values. I mean, they're very, very important that we, you know, stick to that. Uh, that's how you create a brand over time. Uh, play different is, is our first core value. And it's really all about innovation and, and uh, experimentation and learning, right? So uh, to not just do what everybody else does, to really innovate about the product. And again, John had done that from the very beginning. Uh, and that, that certainly is continuing with, with, uh, with the new company. Um, and so, uh, you know, feel very good about the growth, uh, feel like it's very sustainable. Uh, Jim is a very savvy, uh, mature, uh, business executive who understands, you know, how to really build a company. Uh, he's not an operator like me, uh, but he, he, he really understands business and, and, um, you know, so important that we're, we're on the same page about what the, the goals and, and the, what success looks like. Martin, you'd mentioned how, when we talked about how much basically re resources you were going to put toward the business only after acquisition, hiring the people and so on, and, and how as a consultant, you saw many of your clients or entrepreneurial clients make that mistake where they really didn't understand the total cost of the business um, post-launch or post-acquisition. So obviously, one of your pieces of advice to people would be don't just look at the number to, to buy the business, but what, what's it going to take to take that business you've acquired you know, and make it a success? Any other Absolutely. pieces, any other general pieces of advice that come to mind? Yeah. You know, one of the questions, and I actually have it reserved on my calendar uh, for an hour every day, uh, is uh, as co-owner and CEO, I ask myself the question on a daily basis, what can only I do? 
And I do that because uh, it really helps guide my thinking, right? You know, with any business, you know, I can dive into all the details of any of this. I mean, I know the stuff inside now. I can create Facebook ads. I can do all the nitty gritty. But I really ask myself that question for two reasons. One, to make sure that I'm leveraging my team, right? And, and growing their skills and, 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 you know, leveraging, you know, their knowledge and their experience, uh, super important. Uh, and then there are, as, you know, as owner and CEO, there are many things that really only I can do, you know, forge a new strategic partnership, think about the next, you know, uh, uh, you know, product line and, and how that fits into the market, explore, you know, and understand uh, competitors, um, you know, there are many, many things that really only I can do in, in this role because it's my role, you know? And so taking that seriously, I, I see so many founders, you know, get caught up in all of the day-to-day stuff that they just lose track of really where the business is, what the, what the growth trajectory should look like and how to get there. The, the big pieces that they have to manage and move uh, in order to have a sustainable, you know, healthy, successful company, um, you know, the, the shiny object is, is a killer (laughs) for so many. Well, and, and also the, the unwillingness or inability to delegate. Well, uh, a lot of, a lot of feel like it's it's not respecting the people on your team. I mean, they, you hired them for a reason, let them do the job, hold them accountable, but let them do the job. This is great, Martin. Where, where can people reach out to you? Maybe people looking to buy a business, looking to buy a business on Flippa, you'd be an amazing resource. How can they find you? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, email's the easiest. I'm just martin at upperparkdiscgolf.com. Great. Okay. Well, I give thank a lot you of free very, advice yeah. over the years. I'm happy to help people. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's a, it's a, so far a year and a day into the acquisition, it's okay. looks like it's a big success. Don't want to jinx anything, but um, you really seem like you know what you're doing and it's based on years of experience helping other entrepreneurs working at QVC. So it, it seems like a natural next step for you, but it's, it's, uh, it, it's an awesome story so far. So look forward to, to watch, continuing to watch how it goes. Thanks. Well, we're having an awful lot of fun and, and yeah, really, really excited about the future. Good deal. Thanks, Martin. You bet. 